Welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And before we get into this week's episode, I, of course, want to thank my patrons, as I always do. So Rob, Case, and MJ, thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to get a shout-out at the top of an episode, you can go to patreon.com slash stormageddon and give it any level five or above, and you'll get a shout-out here. There are tiers lower than $5, too, if you just want to give a little bit. All of it helps to help build out this podcast and the other podcasts I work on. Um, really quick, I actually have something worth plugging. If you're listening to this the week it came out and you're going to PAX East this weekend, I will be there in some semblance of official capacity. Um, I am on a panel that I'm really excited about called All is Fair in Love and Bioware. It is a panel talking about the love interests in Bioware games and why they still affect us to this date. And then we're also going to argue about who is the best love interest from every Bioware game and probably fight to the death over it. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm being joined by Liana Rupert, Morgan Shaver, Jesse Vitelli, and Kenneth S. Uh, the S stands for Shepherd, which, haha, Bioware, Mass Effect. Anyway, um, it's at the Arachnid Theater. It's on February 28th at 9 p.m. If you love Bioware and you love geeking out about Bioware games, definitely come to that panel. Uh, enough from me, though, going on about the things I've got going on. Let's talk about this guest. And that guest is the incredible Kate Nix. This is Kate Nix's second time on the show. Um, Kate and I have been friends for a long time. She's kicking ass and taking names, doing live music on Twitch, as well as live talk shows, interacting with uh, her entire audience through the medium of the internet, um, a thing that I learned a lot about through her as well. And so I'm happy to have her back on the show to talk about how promoting her music has shifted from not performing live now that she performs online all the time and more. So I'm really excited to have Kate back. I hope you enjoy our conversation. This is me and the incredible, awesome Kate Nix. Well, thank you, Kate Nix, for joining me again. I'm really excited to have you back on the show. I'm excited to be here. I basically never get asked to talk to the internet about my music, so any chance to do so is extremely appreciated. Um, and we go way back to the burlesque days, the Haley Jane days even. Yes. Um, which uh, is funny because when you sent me your username, which is still Haley Jane uh, such and such on Skype, I was like, oh, yeah. Because that's the name you used to use. Yeah, I, I was Haley Jane from um, 14 to 24. Uh, and, so, and so you use that even outside of like performance, just as like your name, like yes, school and stuff? Yes, it was actually, um, it's not my legal name, but it was on my diploma. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, um, because I, so my best friend named me, my my birth name is long and complicated. And my first middle name, because I have more than one, is mm -hmm. Haley. So my best friend, when I was in high school, she actually uh, called me Haley Jane when she wrote me a note. Like, she just, like, wrote me a note and called me Haley Jane as the intro. And she said if she ever called – if she ever had, like, a child out of nowhere, if she, like, had a daughter that just happened, she would name that daughter Haley Jane. And uh, that is how I got named Haley Jane. And I released my first three albums under that name. Oh, awesome. I don't know that I actually realized that. Yeah. 
You actually can find my first like studio record on iTunes under Haley Jane. It's actually why I can't upload it um, through DistroKid and stuff to get it distributed elsewhere because it's still under my former stage name and I have no idea how to cancel the contract with iTunes. Oh, wow. Huh. Would you ever consider like re-recording it and releasing it under Kate Nix as like new old stuff? Oof. That record is not um, (laughs) good. I'll say <laughs> it's not good. Um, okay. It's it's a fine record to have made when you were a 17 year old goth kid. Um, <laughs> if you were a 17 year old goth girl who went to online high school and you were going to make a record about killing your peers and leaving and having a music box house full of like reanimated child brides. It's a great record. But outside of those very specific circumstances, it's, I mean, it's like, it's going back and reading your diary. I've been making music now for like, and producing it for 15 years, either by myself or with a very limited team and releasing it independently. And it's fine in the scheme of things, but I've definitely made much better things since. Uh, There are some songs on there that I, that not only I would consider to be classic sort of kate material that i might revisit but i would never revisit it in its entirety it there's just some of the songs on there are just (sighs) rough (laughs) rough in content rough in quality it's just rough (laughs) yeah i i think you're you're not alone in that sentiment i actually the episode before this one airs was with schaefer the dark lord and talks about how he has like 30 songs that he's never released that he wrote to learn how to write and mm-hmm. that he'll never release for that reason because they're rough on multiple levels yeah um, i didn't I like, have I, I did not have the presence of mind to um not record it or not <laughs> record them i was like no people have to hear my art this is important there are people that like only that record of mine too like i have fans really? that have only liked that record interesting it's an industrial punk album, and I never made another one like it. Like, pretty much all my other stuff has either been me and a guitar, acoustic or electric. But that whole record was programmed. Like, I was very into Nine Inch Nails and Jack Off Jill and Emily Autumn. And it was very, like, it was a very specific genre of its own. It had, like, some metal quality sometimes. There were some noise elements to it. Um, really just like full on crazy, creepy girl stuff. And whilst I have visited those themes since then, it's never been like completely, it, I didn't, um, like go full gimmick like I did on that record. (laughs) Like the, the cover is just a lipstick and the back has like, it's all like grunge fonts and stuff. Like it's a really 2007 record. Like an of the time record, mm-hmm. like screams yeah. that time period. But the people who I went to high school with, who went to my online high school with me, were very impressed by it. And I was definitely a rock star in my own right in high school. I mean, that's pretty neat. You know, we could all wish for that, right? Yeah. I mean, that's all I wanted at that point in time. I mean, I also wanted to be like Lady Gaga level famous. Well, I guess Lady Gaga didn't exist really then. But That's true. But that's before I understood what it was like to be an independent artist and what your life would really look like. Now I want to be much closer to where I am now, which is, you know, doing the weekly Twitch thing and uh, talking regularly with people who enjoy my work and, you know, like building a community based around the values and that I've represented in my music. 
For sure. And like that's the where I kind of wanted to start is so we we've always known each other and been friendly on the internet, but I think where we bonded the most is when you started doing your uh trying to release a video every week. Oof. Um and you were looking for someone to like hold you true to it. And I said, Look, I'm trying to stream, which I also struggled here and there with. And so I was like, I've got your back, you get my back, and we'll check in with each other. And we did. And you did it for a while, and that's how I I was always a fan of your stuff, but I kind of got more personally invested in you after that because I got you were a lot more personal on your channel when you were releasing videos that frequently. Um, I know that shifted a bit, and now you're focusing more on the weekly live stuff and the music stuff. But talk a little bit about what maybe you learned from doing all of those YouTube videos and checking in so often and creating in that way. Well, I used to do the YouTube thing when I was a kid. Like Part mm-hmm. of the reason why I was doing... Like around the time I released that record, that like Dolls and Music Box record, I was starting on YouTube as well, uh, doing uh, weekly, sometimes twice a week, makeup mm-hmm. tutorials. This was back in like early 2008 into. 2010-ish was like when I was most active. And then I was doing weekly vlogs. I was doing, I was, I mean, more than weekly. I was a teenager that had like a shitty job and lived with her dad. So like I had a bunch of time to just make content on my MacBook. So I did that all the time. And there are fans of mine who have maintained a presence in my life since those times. Like there are people who remember me primarily from my makeup tutorial days when I was 17, 18, 19. And when um, I turned 29 on 9, 19, 2019, <laughs> um, or sorry, I was the year before, it was the 28. So I turned 28 on 9, 19, 2018. And um, 9 plus 19 is 28. So I was like, I have to do something this year. I feel like the numbers can't lie. This is complete bullshit. I don't believe in any of this. So it was just like a totally (laughs) made up fantasy world in which I was like, this is important. And for some reason, I guess I've survived this long. I have to do something with my time because I had reached a point in my chronic illness where I was like kind of managing my health reasonably. I mean, I had bad days and there are still days I can't get out of bed, but, um, as far as understanding the context of my life and like what I was physically capable of and how I was hindering my life experience because I was afraid of overdoing it and hurting myself irreparably in some way, which I had faced basically being not paralyzed, but there were moments in the end of 2017 where I was like unable to move, had to be carried to and from the bathroom, unable to move due to injury. And I was so scared after I started healing from that, that I was going to end up back in that place. So I like shut everything in my life down. And I was just like, I can't do anything. I can't do burlesque. I can't play music. I can't do anything, but kind of do my job and even not do that very well. And then um, I got to a point where I felt like I was, you know, ready to not be there anymore. And I decided that one of the ways I could express myself reasonably without, you know, trying to go play out music every week or try to start dancing again or something that I couldn't physically do, something I couldn't keep up with, I would go back to YouTube. I mean, people had made their livings off of YouTube and I remember liking YouTube when I was a part of it. Um, So I decided to start creating there again. And honestly, I would do that if I could 
understand how time works mm-hmm. because I can't um, – I'm still de- figuring out the level of energy that I have in my life for anything. Right. And I haven't figured out how to maintain relevance in the digital media space whilst also staying alive. Um, weird how you got to do that in order to continue <laughs> making content. It does help. Yeah. It, being alive is definitely helpful. So <laughs> I really loved making weekly YouTube videos. But as I was getting better at it, as I was developing my style of editing and whatnot as I went through the weeks, um, I started placing like way higher standards on myself than were probably justifiable um, because I was getting better at editing and, and learning how to do more and I could figure out how to do more. I wanted to put way more time into it than I probably can reasonably. Like a- as a person who works as a full-time artist, I have to do the other things that make me like my regular day job money and not mm-hmm. do YouTube videos because whilst they are a good investment for my brand and my future and whatnot, as far as like actual monetary change in my life, it was a money and time suck. And I couldn't, after my father passed, um, last year, that was like really what changed my just ability level I it, everything changed when right. my dad died and um I was editing the big gun video when I got the call and I just remember being like well I guess I have to finish this video and then go oh. bury my father jeez <laughs> yeah it was it's just like one of those things where like you just feel on one hand I was like he really supported my art and he supported me and I knew I had to finish it, but on the other hand, I was just like, this is different. Life is different. Uh, and I never really got back on the horse after that. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to totally abandon it because I do want to remain connected to people and I do want to remain um, present in people's lives. And really at the end of the day, the vehicle, whether it's YouTube making vlogs and process videos and music videos or twitch streaming and doing the weekly chat shows that i do i like having conversations Mm -hmm. and to me the art has never been even when i was doing burlesque the reason that i liked it so much was that it all felt like a conversation like i would do something and the audience would do something and sometimes things wouldn't work or things would change or whatever and that um I, I like thinking of myself as a maestro of an orchestra that is the audience rather mm-hmm. than any one specific thing. Like, yes, I'm a musician and I care about musicianship and I care about making music that people can connect to and that is true to how I feel as a musician. But I feel the same way about, you know, just doing my chat show on Monday. Like, I want you to have an experience and feel like you are in a safer not safe place like nothing can be said or done to harm you, but in a place where you can feel safe to be honest about yourself and without judgment. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's why we became such fast friends through the internet and through the burlesque scene is because I have a similar sense of being and I get a similar sense from how you work and hustle to get your art done. Um, You bring up the big gun video. I still take pride in knowing you, the person who is retweeted by Ice-T, 
about i know i felt like it was like a sign i don't believe in signs from god or any of that stuff but i was like thanks bob like when when, like i got the call that my stepdad had passed away and then i know i called him my father because he is my father but he is like legally my stepfather I get the call that he passed away and I finish this video and I post this video and then Ice T retweets it and and tags Lori Petty and I'm just uh-huh. like Well, thanks. I guess you do support me. <laughs> like I'm sure you were screaming when you saw it, but like I knowing you as well as I did and knowing how that would make you feel made me scream because I was just like, "Oh my god, Ice T retweeted my friend who did an awesome cover of his song." Uh There are people who say that new. that's their favorite song of mine still. Really? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've yelled at you enough about what my favorite song is, so you know, I try not to do it too much these days. But Blood and Bone will will rare. I don't think will ever be dethroned just because it just hits me in the right place. I think the newest one that I'm not the one that I'm working on with Brian Viglione, but the other one I just released it through Patreon. Um, the best you've had by far. I think it could usurp Blood and Bone. Ooh, interesting. I, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Oh, yeah. I might have heard it already. It, you released it through the Patreon. Is that through the um, the Closet Champion Patreon? Or yeah. Or is that a separate? Okay. No, so I, I do everything in, under Closet Champion. So then it's probably my notification somewhere. Uh, as you, you might relate to, I'm so busy doing too many things myself that I don't get a chance to always catch up on the things everyone else I care about is doing. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, but I did want to shift the conversation uh, uh, talking about how you shifted from doing just like scripted YouTube videos to more conversational and the lullaby lounge. Like where wh- I know, I know the answer to this for the most part, but I want to share with the audience of like why the shift to the lullaby lounge, what made you do that? Um, besides the absolute endless frustration with social media that we both share. Um, what was the driving force to start doing essentially effectively a weekly concert? Um, I remembered when I used to do concerts through Concert Window and stage mm-hmm. it fairly successfully. Not like it wasn't like incredible numbers. I didn't have like hundreds or thousands of people or views, but I had like you know, like 20 to 30 people show up. And if 20 to 30 people had showed up to see me at a coffee shop, I would be delighted. So. Right. I started to try to try and see those numbers for what they really were. And that's like there are 25 people listening to what you have to say right now, like 25 whole human beings. And I instead of looking at like this, like overarching giant idea of what creation and it being a quote unquote influencer, I know people don't like that word, but I actually really <laughs> like that word. Um I like the word influencer because I think it's the only thing that defines the way in which um, I want to make content because like, I don't necessarily want to be your favorite musician or your favorite costumer or your favorite model or whatever. Right. Like I want to be punk rock Martha Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Cause like Martha, she had a cooking show with Snoop. She's a judge on Chopped. She, you can trust her for party supplies. Like Martha's everywhere. But you hear the name Martha Stewart, and you're like, yeah, I can. There's quality behind that in some way. I've never had a Martha Stewart product. I mean, that Martha Stewart craft glitter was the like sworn secret of burlesque dancers everywhere. <laughs> you can always trust Martha for a good, for a good product for some weird. Connecticut whiteness bullshit, <laughs> just total Hillary Clinton level insanity in a mom year package. And 
I want to be that for people like me. I want to be this like uh, fairy godmother guiding light type person. Someone that you feel like you can come to when you're sad or when you're happy and you can always kind of like, you know, experience life together. And I thought the best way to experience that with my audience and the people who had been participating in my work over the last decade or so was to talk to them every week and to show up and say, yes, I might not post all the time. I might not be great at Instagram or whatever, but I'm here And I'm always going to be here, even if I go away for a week or two weeks or whatever. Like, you can count on me at the end of the day to have your back. I think that's really awesome. I think also one of the things that I love about what you do is that not only are you a great singer and a creator, but you're also a really good actress. And and you also... Like, you take yourself seriously, but also don't take yourself seriously. Um, Yeah, I'm like the Muppets. I'm like the Muppets or Kevin Smith. (laughs) <laughs> like my fa- I think one of my favorite makeup tutorial videos because I don't use a ton of makeup I like watching yours because I like you is the pollen the pixie clown trash goblin video <laughs> mostly because I just I love that character so much I just that I you are not the only person who has said such things about that video and it's because I think when I was a teenager, I also didn't take myself. If you look at my old tutorials from when I was a kid, you like if the oldest video on my YouTube channel is from late 2007, early 2008, I think, and I am the same exact person but 17. Um, but I have never – I can't represent myself as a professional because I didn't go to college, and I can't – I don't have this like um, – I'm only in recent years admitting that I am an expert at things, and it's because I've been doing them for a certain amount of time. Right. And it's very difficult for me to acknowledge that I am good (laughs) or even fine sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. But um, I felt that if I just was completely honest about how I felt when I was doing my makeup, which is like, who fucking knows what's going to happen? Let's put some shit on our faces then people would understand that like this is not you're not going to find clean brushes you're not going to find necessarily like high end product i'm not here to push sponsors or to god i'd love to but i i'm not here to um show you how many things i own i'm here to show you what it's like to want to look a certain way and to do whatever it takes to get there and i feel like people understand that like frenetic chaotic femme energy of like i want to be the glitteriest one but also i don't want to buy into the horrors of makeup capitalism for sure i mean with trash goblin specifically uh like you have a voice and everything is that a character that you created in advance of that video or is it just no that's just who i am as a person (laughs) that's just fundamentally my husband is about two feet away from me right now trash Uh goblin and that voice is just how i act right yeah, I mean, that's, it should be not seamstress at Closet Champion, it's Trash Goblin. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, a cameo from Ophidian, tell yes. him I love him, because I yes. do. He's currently making a strong bad mask. <laughs> Amazing, oh my god, awesome. He's the best. Uh, uh, I could bring up how uh, your most famous TikTok is not even about you, and it's about it's that about, jackass. I know, it's about, <laughs> listen... The plan was we. It's this was part of our agreement when we got married, which is like whoever gets 
notoriety or clout or whatever first. The other one is to ride the the more famous slash rich ones coattails. Like right. those are the rules. That that's, seems fair. That was like it was like right before we said I do. Like that's <laughs> the plan. Um, so I am going to do that until I die. <laughs> I am going to use my more famous husband to get myself over until the end of time. Yeah, I don't judge you in the slightest for that. That's legit. I was like, oh, you have 14,000 followers on Twitter? Here, let me post more pictures of you and I together so that way people <laughs> actually pay attention to what I do. Oh, you want to have use my music in a video? Please go for it. <laughs> Link to my Spotify. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, but it's really that, right? Like, I, I learned something over the last year. Like, I, I'm so excited you saw. So we're both, as of when we're recording, because this should come out before it actually happens. But we're both going to be up PAX East. We're both oh, going to be shit, on panels. Really? Yes. Oh, man, you're going to meet my actual, like, blood relative brother. It's the first time we're doing something together in years, just him and I. Um, but because I got because I got a guest spot there, I'm, he bought a ticket for all four days, and we're, like, going to Paxi's together. I'm really That's excited. That's awesome. Yeah, I was picked to be a speaker on an all-Bioware panel uh, for the Mass Effect and Dragon Age games, pretty much arguing over who is the sexiest alien and best mm-hmm. love interest. Very important. Um, it is so important. Uh, Extremely. It's going to be me yelling about my favorite lizard son for an hour until they wrangle me, but it's fine. Um, but but what's exciting about that is like, so I get it. I get like trying to meet people and like the, me being at PAX East on an official PAX East panel is the result of yelling at other nerds on the internet with similar interests through Twitter specifically. And oh, then yeah. like joining a community. Like I know, I know you've railed against this plenty of times if anyone watches any of your videos, especially on your Facebook page. But like... Getting out on social media and getting information out is almost impossible. You know, it's except on Twitter. Except on Twitter, and Twitter's the only place where virality still exists. And like the most connections I've made, the most internet friends I've made, the most uh, communities I've joined is through Twitter. Now I've all but abandoned Facebook, except for like the occasional check in and like creeping on other people's pages. But like I'm not really posting there anymore, except on the pages because I still have them. Um, And but I'm focusing my energy on Twitter because I feel like. And I feel like you could agree, like, the connection is just stronger there, it seems like. Yeah, because it's based on, like, it's like when you're online dating someone, you know? Like, when you first meet someone online and all you have to go is go on is, like, this little profile picture and you're just having conversations. You get to learn more about each other through your mind in a different way. Like, you connect through these little moments of... Like, oh, we like this thing I tweeted earlier today or retweeted earlier today. That's just a description of a person in their car lip syncing to something or singing along to something. And it's just such a interesting like idea that is just so weird. And I totally understood exactly what this person meant when they said this and who exactly who they were talking about. It's like when you find the stereotype that's you and you're like, oh, shit, I didn't know. (laughs) <laughs> that was me oh, that there shit. were seven million more of me <laughs> um i think that's tw- i think on twitter that's a lot easier because on instagram you have this like on instagram you know when you look at it some part of it's fake 
Like that's right. just the 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 whole thing is fake. You look especially now that it has Instagram from Facebook, it even reeks more of like fake luxury goods. Yeah. It's this idea of like you have to create it you have to create an image that is eye catching enough to grab people. But then you have to have a caption that's authentic enough and honest enough that it keeps people reading and makes them invested in what you're saying. And it's almost impossible to not feel like a Disney caricature of yourself when you're participating in that kind of system. Whereas Twitter is like text, 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 maybe a photo. You're representing a different side of yourself. You're representing something more connected to your values that I think people can associate with more. Yeah, there's just a sense of honesty in the limitations of Twitter and because of how fast it moves. Um, Whereas I feel like when I'm posting, when I'm posting on Facebook, I feel like I'm like, I I have, I still have friends on Facebook who go, oh, you have a podcast? And in my head, I'm like, dude, I have four. How do you not know I have Uh one? Like, it just, it proves that that algorithm is busted. Whereas most of the people I've met through Twitter are like, oh, you're the podcast and DJ guy. I see all the stuff you're doing. Like, I see what you're doing. It's awesome. Like, there just seems to be more transparency if you're tuning into it. Yeah. And it's also easier, I think, to get a feel of someone just by looking through like their Twitter feed in a different way versus Instagram is like so curated and specific. And if you deviate too much from the curation, at least as someone who does represent somewhat of an aesthetic brand. Yeah. It's like what the what the I what am I supposed to post? Just pictures of my face just (laughs) over and over and over. Just my face, <laughs> my face and my body. Great. Here's my face and body in a different outfit. Here's my face and body in some makeup. Here's a, a heartfelt caption about I don't know my dad's death. Like I don't know what you people want anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I feel completely befuddled by Instagram. I was actually talking to a photographer friend of mine about it. Um, it's just because I mean it, it's the same shit as Facebook. It's the same idea that if you don't get that immediate engagement in the first 15 minutes, they're not going to show it to anyone. So it's such a lightning in a bottle situation. Yep. It's a total lightning in a bottle. I mean, now Twitter's kind of recycling this. Like they show you tweets that are older if lots of people you know have liked them. Yeah. And I don't love the switch away from the chronological algorithm but it also means that i'm more likely to see something from people that i care about and they don't seem to have just totally fucked it up in the same way that instagram and facebook have and maybe it's just because the user base is more on average more technologically literate as well as i think maybe smaller Mm mm-hmm I mean, I know the people I'm following is less on Twitter than it is on Facebook. And also, like, I I, I think it was last year, let go of the, oh, well, I don't know if I should block people. Like, now, if it's like, if you come into my Twitter feed with racial slurs or sexist bullshit or homophobic nonsense or transphobia, like, I just block you. I don't give you a second chance. I don't need to hear your side of the story. I'm done. Like, it's my curated feed of what I want to see and who I want to interact with. I don't I don't need to make space for you. And I think that was very freeing for me um, mm-hmm. because it allowed me to feel like I was part of a community I actually gave a shit about, whereas Facebook, I feel like, I mean, we all have that one racist family member that's still in your feed because you can't unfriend them or you'll hear about it at Thanksgiving or some nonsense. I know, and like, who cares? Just who cares? I can't care. <laughs> Yeah. I cannot care. <laughs> the only reason I'm on social media is so that I can do my job. Yep. It's not exactly. like it's that's it. 
if I could do my job without having social media, I probably would do that now that I'm an adult. When I was a child developing this brand that became the brand that's mine now, which is like of honesty and vulnerability and creativity and whatnot. When I was a kid, I didn't know how to be vulnerable. I would just spit whatever total vitriol I had on my head out into the void. And the void would be like, oh my God, we're so sorry for you, little baby Kate. We want to be your protector. And I'm like, thank you for the validation I didn't get from my parents. This isn't based on trauma at all. (laughs) And now I'm an adult and I know, I think, better in a better way how to be vulnerable and accessible without being you know one of those people that's like i'm sad send cat photos every time something doesn't go my way and um it definitely took a lot of years of actual practice to do that Mm -hmm. but it I, i mean i don't know that's why i think i had to get away from facebook because that that kite type of mentality is what was gaining traction yeah. And that specific algorithm. It's that same like that it's that over over personal, over close, oversimplified. It was just like Thanksgiving dinner all the time. Yeah. And I don't want to be at that level of stress every day. Like I can't do that. I would not be on social media if it if it weren't vital to be online as part of my career. And I think that's, like, I guess what I learned from, like, the 10 years of being an internet personality starting on YouTube and LiveJournal and going all the places I've been. I feel kind of like I bet on the wrong horse with Facebook for, like, 7 to 10 years, but I finally kicked him to the curb. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we were convinced, right, that that was the way to do it, like, between events and other things. Like, that was the only way to do it, and it's turning out now that that's not really true anymore and that, that there are other methods of getting that support and interacting with people. And I agree. Like, I've, I've trained myself now uh, to only go on Facebook to check my own notifications, but I don't, I don't scroll through Facebook anymore because it just had me so anxious I was a wreck. And whereas, again, because I'm curating Twitter for things that I want to see, um, if there's trauma in Twitter, it's because I want to interact with it there and it's definitely not post after post of what and like it's totally valid if people want to express themselves that way i just i don't i can't always read it because i have a limited capacity for absorbing that kind of empathic information yeah because you're a human fucking being because you're like (laughs) one brain you're like one human brain and your brain has not evolved to have three thousand people's opinions shoved into it every day that's why they had to create the algorithm in the first place they're just failing so miserably that it's fundamentally fucking up society and uh it shouldn't (laughs) we we shouldn't be allowed to have access to it until it's been better tested basically is how i feel about the whole facebook situation it's like until we're ready as grown-ups to have access to each other's innermost darkest thoughts every second of every day we can't have it take the toy away we should not (laughs) We, we can't just take, just please leave us alone. <laughs> please go Because away. the problem is, yeah, because the problem is the technologically illiterate family members that you have just like use it as a diary or whatever. Yep. And not like at LiveJournal where nobody knew about it and it was secret and shameful and Zanga. It's like you feel so fucking entitled to whatever your bullshit is in that moment. 
And people, there are people who barely know you or who are distantly related to you or who met you once at a conference will come out of the woodwork to validate whatever dumb fucking opinion that you had. And I just don't see the other spaces working in the same way. There's not enough um, social currency in other online spaces to have that same effect because they're the tech, the basis of users is so, I don't know. I feel like that it's more technologically literate elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, I would I feel agree. like Facebook think- is the new AOL. Yes, absolutely. No, I completely agree. And like on a more innocent level, like my mom is on Facebook and most of the time she's very sweet to me. Um, But occasionally like I'll put like she'd been complaining about how straggly my beard had been for a while. And so to my spouse's influence and my own, I've been trimming it up neater, shaving it in a way that it does look more aesthetically pleasing. And they were all right. I was too shaggy. Fine. I posted a photo of the new shaved beard and my mom went posted a comment something along the lines of this looks great. I don't know why you had it that other way before. It looked awful. And like, I'm not upset because I know my mom means well, but I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, dude, could you not? You know. No. But that, the that, answer that, is no. Yeah. The answer is I had this thing to share and this is your picture, right? So only you're going to see it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Hundred <laughs> um, percent. I back when I was more protective over my legal name because it was more different. Like when I was Haley Jane, pretty fundamentally, uh-huh. um, I used to have problems all the time with family members commenting on my business page using my legal name, and I would have to delete their shit all the time, and they would get upset because they don't understand that like I'm not there to play in your yearbook. Yeah, I'm there to like. I'm literally just there to promote my work as an artist. Like, I don't, I mean, your baby pictures are perfectly fine, but like, I genuinely don't, I'm not, that's not what I'm there for. If I wanted to see that level of closeness with you, I would be like, I would contact you. And I I think that's also made, it made me more conscious of leaving Facebook so vehemently as well. Weirdly, people have started talking to me about, about it in real life which is the strangest thing to me <laughs> wow really when someone's like oh i see your battle with facebook like it's some sort of like um i don't know like i quit booze or something <laughs> right and i mean it can uh, be the similar kind of addiction right you know i mean absolutely i think that's part of why i was so adamant about distancing myself from it because like i said as a teenager i was very like vo- i was very overly vulnerable and overly accessible as a online persona and as i saw that being what populated facebook and what got traction on facebook nothing got me more traction on facebook than my fight against facebook yeah and i was just like oof no i i'm not gonna play my role in this farce that is like i'm not gonna be your reality tv like this this is not what i intended when i was trying to build a community and that's why i started moving to twitch and discord and twitter and things that were focused less on this thanksgiving dinner emotionality reactionary space because whilst twitter is reactionary like it's max 280 characters and once that person has like lost your interest you can just not be a part of it anymore Whereas Facebook, I feel like it's these like long drawn out, there's just too much. It's too much. And Instagram's turning into the same thing because you have to make this authentic caption or whatever. But like, it's not going to, nobody's going to read it anyway. Why should I be pouring my heart out to, to 10 people? 
Like it's so much emotional effort. I'm trying to figure out what the balance is there. It's, um, it's, I, it's, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. No, you're, you're not wrong. I'm so I hard. Think. No. <laughs> it, you know, I, I think you're, you're right though. Like I've definitely found more camaraderie in Twitter and discord over the last year than I have like I've built, I've built genuine friendships with people who, some of which whose actual faces I've never seen, just by fe- like having a similar sense of humor, um, you know, believing in similar things, and having a place to chat that's not a yearbook is not that that nonsense that Facebook has become, and I felt found myself distancing from it for the same reasons you're talking about. And I think I think Twitch has been really great for me because once I started streaming and becoming an affiliate, like the pressure kind of fell off once I I talked to another Twitch streamer ages ago and they were I was like, What if I don't want to stream this thing every week? They went, then don't. Like Yeah, dude, and there's no your, like um There's no you, magic. You just don't answer. have to. Yeah. And I and <laughs> I locked don't. my And then you come back and you do it later. <laughs> I locked my brain into this thing where I was like, well, if I start a series, I have to finish it, right? And um, this Twitch streamer, Tanya, who, uh, uh, um, Cypher of Tear, who is a phenomenal woman, I adore her, and I credit a lot of my finding my confidence to her. But she just looked at me dead in the eye, like almost to say, hey, stupid, you don't have to. There are no rules. Just do whatever you want as long as you're happy. And if you have an audience and they're engaging, it doesn't matter. And like a light bulb went off once she said it and was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. I don't have to do that. Like, you know, I don't have so to make obvious. a YouTube video out of the week. I can just make music videos when I'm inspired to and maintaining the public consciousness through live streams. Yep, pretty much. Um, and have you felt the weight shift? Have you felt a little more relaxed doing it that way or less pressure? I mean, I didn't stream last week and I didn't feel like something was wrong with me. I was just like, I can't That's do it amazing. this week. I was just That's like, awesome. it's not happening. And my the people who watch my stream or like we appreciate that you would just rather not and not stress yourself out and hurt yourself later like part of the community that I've built around fortunately I mean again I have to thank the vulnerability of my teenage self for (laughs) practicing vulnerability enough to get me here but yeah I'm fortunately surrounded by like the katriarchy that name was a joke but it's now long it's no longer a joke (laughs) nope it's Um, legit it's legit. The patriarchy exists and there are people that are proud to be a part of it. And it's because we have this place where like there are boundaries set and enforcing them doesn't make you a bad person and changing them doesn't make you a bad person. And I think just allowing people to have a space that's like that, even if it is like, fundamentally like directed around the creative work that I make, like, yes, it's inspired by that, but I'm as, as inspired by my community as they are by me, I think, because... Um, they'll like my community is who decides what songs I play or what the theme is going to be or whatever. It's more about like, let's build a show together and let's make this work together than it is about just me being the person who is streaming. And it's made me feel a lot better about what I make because I feel like one, I know who's watching it. So I know what to make. And two, I, the people who experience my work understand where it's coming from and know that there are limits to what I can do. And that's been so beneficial to, I don't know. I just feel less like I have to keep pushing and pushing because 
at the end of the week, like, I know that Ella and Holly and Sandra and Kendra and Ari, like, I know all these people, like, these 12 people by name who are going to show up every week and encourage other people to be a part of it. And it doesn't matter if I take a break because, like, Holly has been a fan of mine for over a decade. Mm -hmm. And Ella has been a fan of mine for over a decade. So they've not only followed me from stream to stream, but like from platform to platform, like from LiveJournal to YouTube to MySpace to Facebook to whatever. Like, I I think it's also just the freedom of having like a long term online career and seeing it less like, oh, I'm starting this new thing. I'm starting this new thing. I'm starting this new thing. And more as like just another chapter in the book of the patriarchy. I mean, I, that's really well said. I think that it's perspective, right? When we're younger, we think that everything has to happen right now. We have to do these things all the time. Like I've talked about recently in a few places of scaling back how many burlesque shows I DJ. And it's not for lack of love of doing that job, but because some of my podcasts are gaining traction. I'm starting to Twitch stream more. It's just refocusing what I want to spend my time on. And while I love doing shows and I'm not going to abandon producers I already work with, I'm recognizing that there's a thing that gives me less joy than other things that I'm trying to work on. And I'm trying to refocus so everything still continues to give me joy. And I think that's key when, especially when you're a jack of all trades, trying to do whatever you can to stay relevant. And there's also that not just like, not just maintaining relevance or maintaining like personal joy, but also investing your time in things that are going to get you more than an impulsive joy in the moment. Right. Like part of the reason why I've switched my production energy from burlesque shows to online work is that I have a video that I can then show people later. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't go away because it already happened. It just means that I have built this catalog of work that I can be like, oh, you just showed up to the party. Here's all the things that you can see from before. And that makes so much more sense to me as I get older because like I whilst I love that exchange of energy in the moment. And obviously there are places for live performances always, which is why I do a live stream. Like even that aspect of being live is very, I think, vital to my creative soul. But the just investing your time, your artistic time in work that like you can use more than once. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely key. I think the reason I've, I've leaned harder into trying to do live events and doing live podcasts is because not only does it give someone who might be a fan an experience that they can't get just from the podcast, but also it is an attempt to make things that will live on. Like whether I go back to that, that, convention again or I do that podcast again or whatever else it is and I think also I've learned over the years that leaning into other people who seem to have similar um, mind frames on the internet helps too right we all rising tide lifts all ships kind of a thing like mm -hmm. I but I also used to get bitter when I'd be like oh I shared this person's thing and they didn't share my thing and then I realized that's that doesn't get you anywhere it's not about mm -hmm. It's not about sharing for reciprocation. It's about sharing what you believe in, what seems authentic to your style and your feed. And then other people will share it and it'll bring other people in who might share yours. You know, you can't. It's mm -hmm. not a one for one exchange because if you try and do that, that's where you bury yourself. And that's also such a capitalistic idea about value, too, is like right. I do this and then you do that. And once you just like break yourself out of the idea that um, that's just not how art works, like 
making creative work, you you can never know the true value of something to someone. Um, yeah. It's that I think has been the hardest thing for me to learn because you want to look at the numbers, you know, you want to say like, oh, well, I had this many retweets and this many follows and that's representative in some way of my success. I think that having the Twitch stream, the weekly stream and having people that come back over and over again, like it's made those 20 viewers mean so much more to me or you know what I mean? Like as it grows, it means so much more to me than when I was, I don't know, just like misunderstanding. I was that, that like follow for follow, whatever, like how do we all sort of, I like, like those photo pods on Instagram, like that (laughs) shit, like it doesn't work that way. And I'm realizing that the long way round is more often than not the way that I end up feeling the most um, true to myself. And it's not super helpful in 2020 when you have to move as fast as you can and put out content every 2.25 seconds in order to for people to remember that you're alive. But I think it's just what's better for at least the type of community that I want to build. For sure, yeah. I feel like also uh, meeting people and shaking hands is always going to be a stronger connection than than like uh, a random tweet or a random Facebook post. And like Twitch is an extension of that, right? Like if they see you on the front page or a friend shares it, it's a photo of you It's and it's an image of you or a video of you doing something fairly personal and they'll it won't take long for them to figure out whether they connect connect or in, are interested or not and it, it it's more direct than you know just uh sending out email blasts or inviting everyone you know to an event page like those kinds of things i think have burned off at this point they're a lot less personal than you know a video or a photo or actually meeting someone in person mm-hmm for sure. I'm trying to do the meeting people in person thing more now that I'm feeling better. That's part of why I've agreed to do the PAX East, like you said. Super excited for that panel. I, I am. I have watched many a Smack Talk Showdown panel at this point, <laughs> uh-huh. but I have not actually participated in one. So I am simultaneously nervous and excited. Um I obviously have learned from the best promo cutter, my husband, Ophidian yes. the Cobra. So I, I'm definitely going in with an advantage, tip of the Paxi's showdown. But <laughs> um, still, to be honest, scared shitless, especially because my brother is going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll do great. I am, I am, I am quite confident you can talk smack. I watched you talk smack in person at Coney Island, so I am quite. Oh, that's of true. I'm, I, you're quite capable. That was as a fun show. I'm concerned. Oh, so fun. Um, uh, okay, well, uh, something else I wanted to ask about, um, because you are still constantly working on new music, you put out singles Mm -hmm. pretty frequently, do you have any plans to put together a new full-length album, or do you see the future of your music as putting out singles whenever they're ready, and just continuing to share music one song at a time? I am so scared away from the concept of doing a record because of Mm -hmm. how I failed my Kickstarter in 2015. (laughs) Mm. Um... I learn. I think that's what honestly like set into stone for me that like I cannot do things um, in that like it all happens at once and then things like I, I can't do that type of um, crowdfunding or like content creation. It's just mm-hmm. not I, I messed that up on so many levels and I am 
fully transparent about being the fuck up. Like I ended up losing money on that. And it's crazy considering how much I raised and how much that's more money than I've ever had access to in my life. The pitiful experience that I participated in afterwards and subsequent breakdown, um, not necessarily connected to that, but in conjunction with it, like I just fully self-sabotaged and fucked myself up. So until I can come up with the funds to fulfill the actual 2015 Sage and Silver Bullets Kickstarter until I can make that happen. I've been adding it a little bit over time. Like I get like one thing and another thing as I can save up for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the magnitude of how much I fucked it up, like I'm I'm recovering a lot more than I have access to financially on a regular basis. That's what happens when you have a breakdown in the middle of your Kickstarter. So I am I'm terrified to do anything except for release singles, honestly, like I don't want to commit to anything bigger than that, because I don't want to do that to myself or my fans ever again. Like I'm so embarrassed by that experience. And it literally like brings strikes fear in my heart in a way that I can never possibly explain Um, that I'm 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 too scared to make a record. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, I can, under- and I'm, I'm thankful you're truthful. I, I think that's being that, ha- being that honest though, and understanding where the failing was, uh, is just another reason why, at least I know as a fan of yours, that I like the things that you do, and, and still believe in you and the things that you do because you have this transparency, and also it was a learning experience, right? Like, yeah, and- I mean, that's the thing is like I try to look at it like truly failing at that would have been not trying at all, right. Like, there are lots of people who would never click send, who would never attempt, who would never put themselves out there in that way to be, to fail in that way so magnificently. So I try to see it in, like, a positive learning experience kind of way. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, it has definitely scared me away from making a full-length record. If I do anything, it would be, like, maybe a collection of, like, an EP or a short collection of songs um but also just the way that the record industry has advanced over the past few years like i have seen many arguments for and against the full-length album as far as the best strategy for release in 2020 sure yeah there's not really a defined right way at this point anymore right people have found success both with singles and with full albums i know tons of artists who jump between both especially independent artists so like i don't think there's a clear path it's kind of whatever works best for you and and based on all of that it seems like this does seem like the clearest path and works what works best for you um i do have i also one... just think it's go ahead um i also just think it's um easier for me to like focus on one song at a time because I can mm-hmm. really like sit with it and learn things about it and learn it in a different way than when you're spreading yourself out over an entire record. Um, I know that might make my sound a little bit less cohesive from song to song, but I think as a person, as like a manufacturer of moments and not necessarily um, anything else at this point, um, being able to just sit with a song and work on it for a, like a longer period of time. Um, I, I think it also is just sort of like, I like being able to offer my entire discography as a whole thing because I think it right. makes my music very accessible. Like you can get a hundred songs of mine for less than 20 bucks and that's not really ever going to change. And I like being able to be like, this is it. It's all of it. It's right here. You can have the whole thing. Choose whatever you want, man. <laughs> Choose your own adventure. I mean, I will say the the eclecticness of your 
music eclecticness, if that's even a word, but we'll go with it, um, mm-hmm. is why I like it so much and why as a DJ, it's so fun to have your music in my back pocket because I make a lot of custom playlists for shows and parties and it, it, I, I can't think of any occasion where I've made a themed playlist and I couldn't apply one of your songs to it because of how diverse your work is. And so as Thank as you. a fan of music, I feel like that that for me is the ultimate like musician moment is to be able to go, oh, uh, it's a party about blood and guts. I got a song for that. This is a fairy party. Oh, I got a song for that. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think also it's just like I started viewing like thinking more about my inspirations as far as solo artists of like David Bowie and um, other like similar bisexual rock stars like Freddie Mercury and like Queen's music from song to song is like totally different bands sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And David Bowie from record to record and even from song to song entirely different sound, entirely different soundscape and instrumentation and everything. And I have tried so long desperately to fit myself into some kind of box where I could be like, this is it. This is what I am. I am a this person. (laughs) And the answer is, nope. (laughs) Nope. No box for you. I am. I am all of it. And (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) God, if that isn't a mood, I'm all of it. And I'm sorry. I'm going to like tattoo that on my face. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. um my my final big question is when are we going to get the youtube series or tv series starring just your cat eating leaves out of the fridge because i would watch it forever um he recently okay here's the th- problem with my cat being on camera uh-huh. um he will not stay in one place for very long <laughs> because he is a brave adventurer and he's foraging it's trying important. yes it's important trying to film him in one spot is incredibly difficult but <laughs> recently we have taught him to because he plays the toy piano in our house or he did when he was younger and i've wanted him to start playing piano again because like musicianship being a musician is important <laughs> i'm going to pass that on to my children obviously <laughs> obviously so so the it's just like a little like toy piano um like it's it's like wood and nice but it's just a toy and um we put it by his food bowl and now we make him play the piano with his paw he can't just smash his face into it he has to play the (laughs) piano with his paw in order to get food and it's a way to for us to one know when he's hungry and it's a way for us to spread his food throughout the day so that he doesn't eat too much Mm -hmm. so like if he wants a snack, he just rings the toy piano and then we go over and we're like, okay, you got to play it so we can see it. And then he plays the toy piano and he give him a little bit of dry food. So like that way we can portion him out throughout the day and not uh, get to the point of chonkiness where it's a health problem. Right. <laughs> I just, I like, I, like I, being, someone being allergic to cats most of the time, if I enjoy cats, it's on the internet. And that one TikTok of you or video or Twitter video of him just eating the, like foraging for the leaves out of the bag, the leaves of spinach oh was just yep. so good because he just having a great time. Didn't care that you were there filming just foraging Mm-mm. for, for green. He loves, he loves leaves. Leaves are <laughs> a plus leaves are a plus he wants them well he doesn't really want them in the morning normally he normally eats them closer to the nighttime. and we mm. try to give him leaves every day but sometimes we forget 
Um, <laughs> but the Leafs have been um, about to be dethroned by Cheese, unfortunately. Oh, no. Um, cheese has been discovered. It's a fucking problem. Um, <laughs> it's way more uh, of an issue than the Leafs were. Because the Leafs, like, sometimes we could trust th- to leave them on the table and he would maybe not go after them. If Normally, if we gave him his own, he would, like, learn that that was his spot and he is allowed to have those leaves that are by his bowl. Yeah. But we had to put them on the ground because if you put them in the bowl, he won't eat them. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> this cat. <laughs> um, but... The other day we were making tacos or mac and cheese or something and there was shredded cheese on the table and he just like had knocked the shredder off of the bowl and was just eating out of the bowl like a criminal. <laughs> and just like, like a no full guilt. hoodlum. Like literally just like whined as I pulled him away. Like totally. Amazing. <laughs> completely brazen criminality. Just total. He wears the stripes of a prisoner for a reason. <laughs> I mean, obviously. Uh... Due to all his crimes. <laughs> I mean, you know, at the end of the day, for cats, I think that's what it's all about is to, to yeah, do crimes. Listen, <laughs> listen crimes are imp- an important part of cat life. We just have specific crimes that are allowed and cheese stealing crimes are not one <laughs> not, of them. Not. <laughs> Wait, listen, we, I'm not going to lie. We're cri- we, sometimes you're a criminal. Like <laughs> laws mean nothing. What is a law? It's just a rule made by someone richer than you. Fuck that. That's true. Uh, my favorite we saying... We allow crimes in this household. I mean, that's fair. I mean, my favorite saying is be gay, do crimes. Because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. that's, that's an important important message for everyone. For everyone. Listen, I'll do, I'll do basically anything a skeleton, a suit, and a top hat tells me to do. <laughs> I mean, like, who wouldn't? Let's be real. If there is a skeleton wearing a suit... With a top hat, and he's giving me instructions. I'm just like, yes, sir, lead the way. Whatever <laughs> I'm you in. need, I'm um, in for it. <laughs> uh, Kate, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming back on my show. Um, of course, please... thank you for having me. I don't think at any point I introduced myself. I think I just started talking about my weird shit. Do you want me to say something that's like, "Hi, this is who I am. Welcome to space." No, it's okay. I I do an upfront. I do a pre roll now where I introduce the episode. So, and okay. I think I said you by name at some point. And if not, hopefully they've read the title of the episode, the post on the internet. Mm. You know, any of those <laughs> things. No, <laughs> I know. listen. This is the listen. This is the internet, dude. Like, no one is gonna read any text around anything. They're not even. They're, if it's put in the image, they they don't. You're gonna answer their question. They won't know what you're talking about. You just have to. I think that's part of what's so fr- what's so frustrating about the Facebook and Instagram stuff is that like that you had to make what you were saying so vague in order not to trigger any of their like buzzwords that oh, would yeah. turn into a sales post or whatever yep. or like think think that you were trying to sell them something that you weren't trying to sell them or you know directing them off of Facebook or what have you that's all selling in the mind of the algorithm right yeah so that like that vagueness that was required to maintain engagement whilst also like knowing in your heart of hearts that this bizarre linguistic puzzle you have set in front of humanity is nowhere near the actual action that you're asking them to do oof they have not read the title they do not know who i am hi i'm kate welcome to the end of the podcast amazing perfect um before we wrap up and i have you do our sign off why don't you tell folks where they can find you on the internet uh the best places to tune in to live 
shows, talk shows, and get your music? You can find my music on basically every streaming platform. If you type in Kate Nix, spelled like the goddess of the night, Kate spelled like K-A-T-E, Nix spelled N-Y-X. If you type that into any of your music devices, whatever, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, whatever, whatever you listen to music on, you'll find something from me. But if you're one of those people that's like, no, I know that whatever artist I'm listening to on Spotify gets less than 0.02 cents per stream. And I'm one of those people that wants artists to make money. You can head over to katenix.com slash music and buy music, my entire discography directly from me. Um, through Bandcamp. That is the best way to get my music as far as making sure you get it like free range, organic, fair <laughs> trade, artisan MP3s straight from the source. Uh, you can also tune into my weekly live stream on either YouTube or Twitch, twitch.tv slash Kate Nix or youtube.com slash Kate Nix. I made it real simple for you. And you can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at I am Kate Nix. Amazing. Kate, thank you again so much for being on. Please promise me after we're done recording, you will go hug your husband for me because I think he's delightful. For sure. Excellent. He is delightful. You're right. I, I know I'm right. Um, he's, he, he comes off all big and bad like he's so scary, but he's a big mm-hmm. softie. Um, mm-hmm. But he my final... muscle snake. He, he, does, he does have muscles. That's true. He's not actually physically mm-hmm. soft. <laughs> a rare um, snake with arms. <laughs> like Trogdor, but not a dragon. Right, yeah, but just instead of one beefy arm, there's two. <laughs> two, two beefy. Oh my god! Now picture that's going like, to Trogdor. be a shirt. We've talked about it. We've, been, we've talked about making it a shirt. I've talked about it online multiple times now to try and hold myself accountable. I will make this Trogdor muscle snake Ophidian shirt. It's going to happen. I, I want it so bad. Um. Anyway, enough of our nonsense. Um. Can you please sign us off by, of course, as always, saying, "Music is life, and life is good." Music is life, and life is good. Bye, y'all. That's it for this episode of Crash Chords Autographs. Our theme music is by Michael Kill. Our logo was designed by Case Aiken and Joey Amans. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Facebook. You'll help us reach more listeners. Questions, comments, or guest recommendations? Email matt.storm at crashchords.com or hit us up on Twitter at Crash Chords Web. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Victor Devon, and I am the host of We Burlesque, the podcast. Every Monday, I talk to fabulous denizens of nightlife, including burlesque performers, both seasoned and new to the form, drag performers, performance artists, DJs, and artists who make up their respective scenes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please visit weburlesque.com to check out episode recaps and see all the formats available. And remember that music is life. Life is good. <laughs>